0: ladies okay. and gentlemen thank you for joining me for another episode of the typical skeptic show i have a returning guest with me i have dr scott dr irena scott you guys remember her if you've been listening to my podcast for a long time she's been on the show twice before and she's talked about her ufo encounters we've talked about her other books before but um she's back with a brand new book and it's called beyond pascagoula dealing with with the pascagoula abduction case but it's not just the pascagoula abduction case it's the events that also surrounded it like there were excuse me there were other people that got abducted there were loud boom sounds there was like a USO event like a you know underwater water submerged object event i mean there's all these things that are starting to give this case more credibility and that's all in her book beyond pascagoula so buckle up this is going to be great Just a little bit about my guest before um, we go on. Dr. Irina Scott received her PhD from the University of Missouri in psychology, or physiology, did a postdoctoral research at Cornell University, and has been an assistant professor at St. Bonaventure University. She has done research and teaching at The Ohio State University, the University of Missouri, University of Nevada, and the Battelle Memorial Institute. She worked for the Defense Intelligence Agency in aerospace engineering and satellite photography, and was a volunteer astronomer at the newspapers, and she was a correspondent for Popular Mechanics Magazine. She served on the MUFON Board of Directors 1993-2000, to 2000, is a MUFON consultant in physiology and astronomy, and a field investigator. She co-edited eight symposium proceedings, and has been a state section director for Ohio MUFON, and was a founding member for the Mid-Ohio Research Associates, Mora, and its journal editor, and has published UFO material in books and journals, including scientific journals. Dr. Scott, thank you for coming back on the show. How are you? Just fine, thank you for having me. I, I'm, I'm so excited to talk to you about your new book, um, Beyond Gula. Um, Now, we talked. You heard me say in the intro, we we talked about all the different things that surround this case. Is that kind of what drew your attention to the case, or did you come across all this stuff when you were researching it, and it just took you further into it?
1: No, I had started because something happened to me on the same day as the Pascagoula abduction, way, way back. And um, so I had started um, investigating something else about it
0: years ago. Oh, okay. What what happened with you? Was it like an an event? or? Well, I was working on my
1: PhD at that time in Missouri, and I received a phone call from my mother in Ohio, and she said, did you hear that noise or something about an explosion? And I laughed and I said, no, we're 600 miles away. And I, she had always said that if she had dementia, that we should let her know. And so I told her, yeah, you know, it's happened. Go to the asylum and everything and teased her about it. And then she's a, she was a real skeptic. And she called several days later and said there was a huge uh, UFO wave going on. In Ohio or all over, maybe. And the people were keeping their kids in and staying in at night. And everybody was seeing them and wanted to chase her one of her friends. And it sounded really weird. And I nothing was going on in Missouri that I knew about then. And so I sort of forgot about it for years and years. And later, I was working at Ohio State. And they had a newspaper room where they actually had newspapers. And one day I was just browsing through the library and I thought, well, I'll look up the date of when that noise was. And um, I didn't remember when. And so I went in the newspaper room and there were newspapers all over and I thought this is something I'll never find. But I sort of remembered it was 1973 and in October. And so I pulled out a, full, a few papers and I actually found when the noise was and I had a date. And it was pretty um impressive i mean there was just a little article about it but um it had been heard a long ways away and so i started doing research on it and i couldn't find any cause for it and i wasn't in ufos at all then i um started write. i'd done some research and i started writing it up for a scientific journal (laughs) and these um seismologist of the state of Ohio contacted me and he was really interested and, um, helped me find information. And I contacted a number of scientists and none of them were skeptics or anything. They were all quite interested. And I published a little bit in a, um, scientific journal, a peer reviewed scientific journal. And then some, um, UFO people in Ohio heard about it and asked me to give a speech and that's when I entered ufology, and that the sound had happened on exactly the same day as the Pascagoula abduction, but I started investigating in a completely different
0: direction. That That's pretty amazing, so what do you think this loud boom was? Like, if you were to speculate, do you think it could have been, like, the opening of a, I mean, I'm just just thinking out, uh, you think it could have been, like, the opening of a portal, because wasn't there, like, a I mean, uh, there was the day that this, this Pascogool abduction, there was a wave of UFO sightings at the time. And there was this, also this loud boom that, 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 and, and if you could explain to people just how loud this boom was, like how, how far it stretched, right? It was, it was, a, it was heard for miles and miles and miles upon, I mean, like through st- multiple States, right?
1: Yeah. Um, when I started writing the book, I started doing more research on the sound instead of the Pascagoula abduction, actually. But um, it was heard from Iowa to the coast, the Atlantic coast, which is halfway across the United States. And um, it was quite wide, too, maybe 500 miles wide in places. And it was totally different from anything that anybody heard before. And I think it was probably the second... Um, most extensive sound ever heard ever recorded in human history um so it was very impressive
0: yeah and and it just, and then also there was a there was a wave of at the time of the pascagoula sighting there was also a wave i think this was like the um the uh 1973 ufo wave was that is that what we re, was that what happened was there was a there was a, how many just how many ufos were being seen well, um, at, the other thing that got me into this was that I had um,
1: published a UFO book with uh, Flying Disc Press, Philip Mantle. And he he was very interested in the Pascagoula and pursuing that. And he wanted somebody in the United States to call up other witnesses. And so I started calling up other witnesses. And so I, that's how I got into the um, abduct, abduction. And um, yeah, there was... Um, At the time of that abduction, I think in Pascagoula, um, um, somebody in the sheriff's office said they had received 50 official calls of witnesses for UFOs, and there were a lot of other ones coming in on that night, and so
0: there was a lot going on right then. Now, when you started to look into these different um, witness accounts or, you know, that um, put, um, that's kind of certified Calvin and uh, Charlie's claim, um, can you talk about, Do you, I mean, do you want to talk about Calvin and Charlie's story first, or do you want to talk about the other witnesses you interviewed? We can do, we can do either one. Well, I think I'd better talk about their story first, because that's the
1: central heart of the whole thing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what what the other two books have been about is the abduction and they were written, the recent ones, they were written by Kevin Parker um, and what happened was that he and uh, Charles Hickson were just two normal people. They were employees of a shipyard and they decided to go fishing after a day's work. I mean, they weren't UFO people or nuts or anything like that and so um, they went to several places and they weren't catching any fish. And then they went to this one place that was marked stay out or something. And Calvin um, was driving the car and he was nervous about it because the police might get him. And Charles said, go ahead. there's no problem. And so they parked and then walked to the fishing place to the pier and started fishing. Well, they saw some blue lights and they thought the police were after him and Calvin um, Told Charlie that you know he can go to jail because it was his fault, and then so they were worried about the police. But this was much, much, much worse than police because it turned out that the blue light was um, UFO, and the thing floated down. It was in the air, and it opened up. There was this real bright light, and three. Things came out that were maybe beings or mechanical things or something, and grabbed them two grabbed Charlie and one grabbed Kevin and took him aboard and um, then they it were examined and returned and they were just terrified I mean when the things grabbed them, well, they said that you know they were men, and they would fight back well, they said that it was like they got a shot or something. And they just both went absolutely numb and couldn't move or anything. All they could do was move their eyes. And so they couldn't fight back and they were just so terrified you couldn't believe it. And so they were taken aboard and then they returned. And they said that Calvin, when he was returned, he was just standing there with his hands up in the air. And then they, uh, Charlie tried to wake him up and then they both fell down or something. And um, then they said, well, They weren't going to tell anybody, but um, Charles had been in the army. He was about 45 and um, Calvin was 19. And Charles had been in the army and he'd been in life and death situations and things. And he was braver about talking about it. And so he said, well, we need to tell somebody about this. And Calvin was totally against it. And they were both just having nervous breakdowns at the time. And so, um, and, you know, if it happened to you, what would you say? You know, nobody believe you. And so they called, they first of all called a newspaper, talk, st- stopped the newspaper, and the newspaper was closed. And then they contacted Kessler Air Force Base. And the Air Force Base said they don't take UFO reports, talk to the local authorities. So they called the police, and um, uh, Charlie called the police, and, he said, you're never going to believe this. And he wasn't expecting to be believed. And and then a police report went out that they picked up two drunks that were saying the UFO picked him up and things like that. So anyway, they went into the police department and the police interviewed him separately. And then put him together and then left him in a room by themselves. And they didn't know that um, there was a tape recorder in the room. And so they were the police were planning on tricking him, them, and getting the you know on the tape recorders saying about the hoax and everything. And instead, they were both just absolutely terrified. And Kevin was just having a nervous breakdown. And so um, they believed them. And then um, they a lot of UFO people came in and investigated and that sort of thing. But they had credibility on account of the
0: mystery tape um because because the because the, the the police didn't know that they were um i mean they didn't know that the police were recording them which is that's amazing that you could tell that they were telling the truth uh you know like i think that's uh i think that's a key i think that's a, a big key uh how do i want to say this i think that's a the, one of the biggest factors of the case would you say
1: yeah i think it is because i think you know the first police you know i talked to several policemen and they said that it the thing went out that they just picked up some drunks that were saying they were abducted. And that's what the police thought. And I guess the person that called um, returned the, fo- that called um, Charles could hear Calvin K- in the background crying and pleading not to say anything about it and things that impressed him. And then they brought him in and um, put him in that room with the tape recorder thinking, you know, that they would just, Uh, get the hoax and everything and instead the two are just terrified
0: you know um i I saw that in in this uh, how do i want to say this it's in in the in the prologue to the book like the one that philip mannell wrote it says um but not much as known many elements elements associated with it, it had numerous unique aspects such as the instruments the aliens appeared to use to scan the men resembled modern devices such as computerized axial tomography cat scan is did you write did you write a, you wrote about that as well yeah um uh they one of the things they reported
1: was that, that this thing came out of a wall and circled him. it was just a little thing and kind of circled them like it was scanning and um this it happened in 1973 where you didn't have anything uh, yeah, like well, that. Yeah,
0: nothing like that existed, right?
1: And even today, if you get a CAT scan, they put you in a, a, a gurney and push you into the thing, you know, the thing goes around. Well, this just came out of a wall and scanned them so it was even more advanced. That I mean, that was, gave them the impression they were being scanned and it was like a lot more advanced than what they have today.
0: Yeah, um, it's amazing. Um, now... Yeah, I think another really unique and and interesting part about this case is the actual alien entities themselves like they're not the little gray aliens like everybody thinks like um, they're actually quite different. Could you talk about that a little bit. Yeah, um, the picture of an alien
1: is sort of a skinny thing with big eyes and a big head and all that. Um, I mean that's sort of the common picture, although nobody really knows. But in this case they said they were kind of mechanical like machines and they had just the opposite, uh, appearance. They were kind of porty or a little bit, um, you know, porky and wrinkled all over with like waves of fat or something and all kinds of wrinkles. And they couldn't even, they didn't know for sure if they even saw their eyes. And they also had things like claws instead of hands. And they, um, we're sort of floating around on pedestals instead of walking on legs.
0: Oh wow, that's so strange. It sounds, it sounds so bizarre. Like it's so interesting, though. You know, um, do you think that they did? They, did they ever say later that they thought they might have been part, like bio, biomechanical, like part biological, part android, or something like that? Well, they both said that they seem mechanical,
1: um, and. Then when they were in the uh, object, um, they said they didn't see anything. There was no furniture. It was just this white light. And, um, you know, robots don't need chairs and things. And so (laughs) my next book, maybe, you know, they were mechanical.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um, Now, I want to talk about two aspects. Well, I think another interesting uh, thing that we well, I wanted to cover was the blue lights because um, that that was pretty pretty special in this right the blue lights that were on the craft. Well, they um, said that there was a blue light along the craft, but for
1: the whole um, the whole wave of UFOs, I, there were a lot of them all over the country and the world, and in a lot of cases there were blue lights associated with them, and this was uh, different because. Aircraft lights are like the wing lights are red and green and they have a white strobe light um, and meteors and things like that are sort of a flame colored or orange or something. And this was blue. A lot of people reported blue lights and this seems strange because it wasn't the normal
0: color you see any place. That's pretty amazing. That is, that really is. That's, that gives a, that gives a kind of like a, 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 a more evidence that it was an actual you know ufo sighting and 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 this could it can't be um this case in in, and i love the fact that this case can't be denied and 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 also there's so many different aspects to it that find it i find interesting um the next two i wanted to talk to you about were the the blair family and then the uso um the uso story um whichever one you want to get into first maybe the uso aspect of it Oh, I'll we'll get
1: into the Blair family first okay um,
0: it sounds good
1: because there were a number of other um sightings, and uh, one of the first people that I talked to uh Philip Mantle found the person because uh, the daughter of the people had written to uh, YouTube because they'd shown a picture uh, video of uh, Kelvin giving a speech at pascagoula and the daughter wrote and said something about all her parents saw that and philip Mano got a hold of her and then i was to call the woman and so i did and it turned out that the parents of this daughter that wrote had been on the opposite side of the pascagoula river and had seen these things and possibly even watched the abduction uh, I took you the man first, and he talked about a big splash and a blimp, and then he handed the phone over to his wife, and she said that they were um, waiting to get on a ship because he and his supervisor were going on a ship, um, whatever they did, and they were at one end of the pier, and they were waiting to go out the pier, but the supervisor was late, and so they were sitting in the car, and he was sleeping. And so she was watching out the window and she saw this uh, object flying around the Pascola River. And she said it was just going in you know, all directions and she couldn't figure out what it was doing. And she said to her husband several times that the pilot must be lost. or he must be searching for something because it's just going randomly around the river. And um, then her husband decided to put his clothes in the boat, ship or whatever. And so he took his clothes and started walking down. And she started following him. And on the way to the sh- ship, she saw this thing come out of the water and she said, look just like a man. And then it went down. and It didn't come up again. And she didn't see it again. And she just seemed real emotional about this. And they went to the boat about nine and they got back about 12, which made no sense to me at all. And then, um, I could tell she was real emotional about this thing that came out of the water. And so um, uh, I called her several times and talked to her and she was very, very emotional about it. And she said her husband didn't want to talk about it because he was just totally skeptical and he didn't think anything was going on. So um, anyway, Sometime later, unfortunately, her husband got very, very ill, and then he died, uh, which is, you know, terrible. And um, but before he went on a ventilator, he told her that they had been abducted, but he didn't want to talk about it because there was so much harassment that he just didn't want to go through it. And you know, like a man with a job, you know, you don't want to go around saying anything like that. And so, anyway. Um Then he said that they had been abducted, and that I forget how many there were these beings that grabbed them and took him on board, and I think they um, did medical procedures on him and um then he and he talked to Philip too. he talked to her his wife and Philip both about it, but then he went on a ventilator and couldn't talk. And she couldn't get too much more out of him. And they had been just newly wed married when that happened. Now, this much later, many, many years later, after their family had grown up and everything, they were finally talking about it. But then, unfortunately, he died. And she didn't um, remember being on board. She did remember the being. So. And she couldn't have communicated with him because he couldn't talk. And But they had been on the opposite side of the river um the same time as calvin and charles had been abducted and they might have watched the abduction and the object that got him might have been the same one that abducted the other two wow
0: that's amazing so it 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 gives kind of credibility to both accounts yeah and um
1: that might be the only instant that anybody knows of you know the possibility that um, it was a double abduction. That
0: would, yeah, that's amazing. I I don't even know what to say. I, that's that's that truly is not really amazing. Um, like, and and then like, what 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 kind of beings did they say that they saw? Were they the same as what uh, Calvin and Charlie saw, or was it, was it was it like different?
1: I don't think there was a whole lot of detail. Um, she had talked about this thing that came up she said it looked like a man. And then she remembered a little bit more about it. And he said, you know, that they had been abducted and that um, she thought they were, had been physical with him and that that's why he didn't want it, another reason why he didn't want to talk about it. But I don't know. Um, she didn't remember being on board at all. And he just told him a little bit and then he couldn't talk anymore. So um i guess had given given him an exam and things like
0: that yeah and maybe maybe they wiped their memories obviously like you know or or they maybe they put up a screen memory and that's why she remembered seeing that um image of a man coming out of the water maybe that was actually like maybe that was a screen memory and that was actually a spaceship or something or a, a the ufo or who knows
1: yeah well uh he said that um afterwards that he saw them swimming across the water back to their thing like they were going back to where Calvin and Charles were and that then they he saw the thing fly away um and so they were both saw them in the water but she, I mean she was just hyper emotional about the thing that came out of the water but she didn't have it connected with anything and she, yeah she kept saying that she thought she, you know, they had done something to her memory because she couldn't remember being on board.
0: Yeah, that's interesting. Now, do you say that there was a USO sighting too around this time? And, and there was a, also a humanoid sighting. I think that, that was around, that you talk about um, the, the 17th, there was October 17 sightings and they were humanoids or something like that. Or And then there's something like a USO or those two different cases. There are two different cases. Um, both uh, the... The Pascagoula
1: area made the news, national news, twice. One was the abduction, but a few weeks later, there was an underwater sighting, and the abduction uh, wasn't taken seriously, and they got harassed about it. With the underwater sighting, the um, underwater uh, submarine object, USO, it was taken very seriously and investigated by the Navy and the Coast Guard and um I t- there's only one witness that's still alive, and I interviewed him um They were out fishing in the Pascagoula River, not too far from where the abduction had taken place and um it was a man and his son and then his his uh twin and his son now other family members and another um family and anyway, they saw this thing underwater. And they couldn't figure out what it was. It was uh, it, they said it looked he said it looked like a looking down on a parachute that like uh was round with sort of spokes coming out, and that it, it was lit from the underneath and it was under the water. And they kept trying to figure out what it was, and his father had a real long oar and he hit it and it sounded like metal, and they couldn't figure out what it was, and then their um twin cane, and they would hit it and things, and it would, its light would go out, and then it go someplace else and appear, and they couldn't figure out what it was, and so they went to get the Coast Guard, which took a while, and the two Coast Guard officers came out to investigate, too, and there was another family that saw it, too, and they all tried to figure out what it was, and they would um, poke it and jab it, and it would disappear, and then it'd go someplace else and light up again, and they couldn't figure out Any, I mean, the Coast Guard or nobody could figure out what it was. And that was the other um, uh, sighting, but the Coast Guard took that very seriously because, like, um, this was the Huntington Ingalls um, Corporation um, Industries that made the Navy ships, I mean, the... um, The shipbuilding area there, they were uh, shipyard employees and also Kessler Air Force Base was there, and it was an important Air Force base for training and all kinds of things. And they were making nuclear subs which the government didn't want anybody to know about. And so the Coast Guard was very, very interested and had a serious interest. And I think, I think the um, abduction should have been taken just as seriously as the other. Because the abduction was closer to all that than the um, USO. But the USO was seen by the
0: Coast Guard officers, and they didn't have any idea what it was. Wow, this all is so amazing. And then what about the case with the humanoids? Well, um, that month, there were a lot
1: of humanoid sightings all over the country. And um, for example, on the 17th of October, I think there were something like seven humanoid sightings in different places. Wow. And um, There were, uh, I mean, like my mother was in Ohio and there was a big flap in Ohio too. And I mentioned that in Pascagoula, the sheriff's office said there were 50 and more UFO reports. Well, (laughs) the Columbus Dispatch here on that day, they reported 150 UFO reports for that one day. I mean there was a real flap and I think that was a world record for you know UFO reports coming into authorities but the flap was taking over in a lot of places and the um,
0: other people reporting were reporting humanoids and things during the flap. Wow that's amazing this is this is such all amazing stuff I'm trying to think if there's anything else that we haven't covered is there anything else that you wanted you wanted to talk about like um that, oh I, I had one other question for you. Um did you want to talk about the 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 events that kind of surrounded the 1973 UFO wave? I mean, this is kind of I um I heard you talk about this in another podcast. There were kind of political events and a lot of other things that were going on in our in the time of humanity when this 1973 UFO, UFO wave was happening.
1: Yeah, um there were a lot of things. Um it was during the impeachment of Nixon and during the time when they changed vice presidents, Vero Agnew was out. And um, another thing that was very interesting was is the possibility of nuclear war. And they had an alert, a DEFCON alert. they've only had, I think, two the other one was the Cuban missile Crisis, when there was a chance of having a nuclear war. And it was interesting that that happened at the same time as the UFO flap. Um, and, um, it was also kind of interesting about nuclear submarines too, because (laughs) shipyard is making nuclear submarines, but, um, nuclear ships anyway. But, um, it was kind of interesting that there was a big UFO wave at the same time as the, um, Nuclear alert for this uh, the Yom compare War, and people didn't know that that happened. They just declassified the fact that there had been an alert a few years ago. So in 1973, people didn't really know anything about it. Um, but there was a possibility of nuclear war going on right then.
0: Well, what that makes me think that, like you know, and I I, I love to speculate, but you know, it, it brings interesting ideas like. Do you think that possibly maybe um, the aliens or UFOs or whatever we want to call them, interdimensionals, maybe knew that we were on the brink of war and they were, you know, they had they were on four because maybe possibly if one of those nuclear missiles would have been launched, they would have maybe tried to deter it?
1: Well, there was a possibility if one of them was launched. Well, um, the Arab countries were aligned with Russia and Israel was aligned with the USA if one was launched there could be a nuclear war and destroy everything and um they've had a number of people written about reports that ufos fly over flew over some of the nuclear bases and um, redid the targeting on them and caused them not to be able to fire and things and um i think that was afterwards but you know i wondered if something like that was going on there and i had um, somebody interviewed somebody, and i didn 't get the rest of the information that uh the um, beings were giving us a show of force when there might be a nuclear um
0: war coming on i think and I quote that but i didn 't have all the information on it that's amazing that's, that's am- I, th- I think that's what i think that's what it was I'd, at least like i'd like to think that 's what it was because you know i 'm totally kind of against nuclear war i mean. I understand why countries, I guess, have to have... It doesn't make any sense, though, that we have something that could destroy the hell out of somebody else and then bring death on ourselves, too. It just seems like something that's so... um, uh, Like, it's something like a little kid would think of, even though it's a highly technological missile. At the same time, it seems like something that, like, a a barbarian would create. You know what I mean? Like, some that's something that someone's not thinking of nuclear. Well, you know, I mean... You, you taught and stuff like that, and you've, you've been in academics. What what are your thoughts? Well, they spent this,
1: va- and they still are, spending this vast amount of money on overkill and all these real technical uh, missiles that, you know, they can guide all over and go with all kinds of speed and everything. With And then the atomic bomb, you know, took a lot of brains to, um, you know, develop that too. But the thing is, if you send up a missile and an anti-missile comes and hits it, Well, the radiation goes all over. I mean, it gets you and it gets the other side too. I mean, it's just deaths for both sides. So, you know, how could they be so stupid as to, you know, spend this much money
0: on nuclear war when it's going (laughs) to, and I imagine. Remember remember the Fukushima spill of, uh, on Japan and back in, I can't remember when that was, but I remember it like, it like some of that nuclear radiation reached the shores of California. I think like, uh, I'm not, I'm not quite I'm not, I don't want to, you know, say I'm for sure on that, but didn't like, weren't things like showing up in the, in the, in the ocean of California, like from Japan that were all messed up and stuff like that. And am I wrong or no? No. And um, I, you know, the
1: radiation, they did atmospheric testing here in the United States. Well, the radiation just, uh, you know, blew across the United States. There may be more cancer cases in the United States than there are from anything, you know, we did with our atomic energy. I mean, it may have killed more people in the
0: United States than any place else. Wow. Wow. That's that's a that's they need to really need to think a lot before they do this. It's it's crazy, you know, it really is. Like um well is there anything you want to add about the Pascal um a, a case? Like anything we forgot to mention?
1: Well the sound. Um it was pretty impressive and it happened i mean i had been working on that up until i got on in with this but the sound happened at exactly the same time as the abduction which is pretty weird (laughs) exactly the same time well i mean they didn't have watches and things
0: but you know approximately the same time wow that's amazing like like it makes me think like that there was some kind of like portal opened or something like that like i guess i think i said that before but that's the only thing i can think of what that what that could have been like have you have you ever thought as to speculate what what it, what it could have been that loud boom
1: well i didn't understand it at first and the scientists i worked with were open-minded and they were interested later i published something in the mufon journal and uh, a debunker told me it was just a jet well i very weakly Um, debunked him and Hmm. said it wasn't the same place as the jet but then since then just not too long ago NASA published a lot of information about sonic booms and about the kind of airplane the debunker had said and so I had a lot more um, information that I could do math on and show that this um, sound was not the jet and that this sound was a lot had a lot of physical differences from what um, they advertise as the characteristic atomic um, of a sonic boom and that sort of thing.
0: Yeah, so so it's, it's still really unknown what the boom actually was.
1: No, and, you know, I debunked a lot of things that were possible, such as they said the SR-71 airplane. Well, it was about 300 miles away from where my debunker said the airplane was.
0: Wow, that's this is this is amazing. This is an amazing case. Well, um, do you want to tell everybody where they can find the book or and in, in your website and stuff like that and all that? Yeah, here's a book. The yeah, it's it's a really nice cover. Let me see.
1: yeah, the artist is great and little, little
0: oh.
1: And um it can be found on Amazon.com.
0: Um okay. and my website is irenascott.com. Well, I appreciate it. you always come with so great and so much great information. Like I, I really appreciate when you come on the show, because this is like mind blowing information, all the information syncs up and it all is, uh, it's all, it, it seems like it can't be debunked. It's, it's, it's all, seems like it's a, it's really, really great top-notch research. Thank you. Well, thank you for having me. Yeah. I, I love, I love talking with you about this and, uh, Um, and, uh, we'll have to do it again sometime. Uh, Great. Thank you for coming on. Have a nice night. You do too. And thank you very much. All right.